Good morning again, everyone. It's a wonderful blessing to be here. It's a real privilege to be able to preach here in Sunbury. It's the first time I've been here at this church, um, but it's uh, a real blessing to be here. So before we start, can we just open with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for this privilege, Lord. We thank you again that there will be another time where your word may be going out, Lord. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you would just work through me today, Lord, that you have this message prepared and that, Lord, that it will touch the hearts that it's meant to you, Lord. And that, Lord, uh, you may be glorified and that you may be lifted up high above the earth, Lord. And that when we look at thee, Lord, we know that thou art the God that has saved everyone who wants that salvation, that wonderful gift, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, now as I present this message for our brothers and sisters here and anyone listening to this message, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts for this message. And, Lord, that it will go out and not return void. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Today I wanted to preach from Psalm 11. So we're going to read Psalm 11 again um, because it's not normal in, in, in Faith Baptist Church to read the passage, but we'll read it again. So if we turn to Psalm 11, and we'll read Psalm 11. <clears throat> In the Lord I put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids. Try the children of men. Lord, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and, horrible, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So what I want to actually look at is verse 3 in particular. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, in particular, this one word I want to actually look at is the word foundations in that whole thing. In, the, in this verse, we see that this word foundations is actually a plural word. It's not a singular. If we look at the context of the psalm, uh, we see that it was written by David while he was being pers- persecuted by Saul. Here we, have, um, we ha- have a state of Israel being corrupted um, um, and being compared to a building. Okay, so we're looking at the whole nation of Israel and we have a foundation. We have some, some basis on which you sit, set and then you have the building of the nation and society. So we have a building... Um, Metaphor, which has been taking place here. The foundations upon which uh, a society rests is actually uh, the fundamental principles of law, of order, of justice, of truth, and righteousness. Now, we know that King Saul uh, was God's representative on the earth. He was anointed by Samuel, uh, um, but he was chosen by the people. So Saul had to respond, was responsible for upholding truth and justice. And he was God's representative on the earth. So let's just turn back to Psalm, oh, turn, forward, uh, to, uh, turn back, sorry. 1 Samuel, 
Uh, we're going to look at a little bit about Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're just going to read the first three verses of 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 verse 1 says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came from, uh, up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that he have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Samuel, here we see in this, in this section, had anointed um, Saul to be the king over God's people. And he was told by God in this commandment to go and execute judgment on Amalek. A commandment from God to uphold justice one of the foundations of a good, stable society. So what did Saul do? We just look down a little bit further, and we just look at verse 7 and to 11. It says, And Saul smote Amalek from uh, Havilah until, uh, until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalek, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... And the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, they destroyed utterly. So what did Saul do? Saul disobeyed God um, through his own judgment, through his own truthfulness. Uh, through his own law. And he thought that his law and his truth and his judgment was better than God's judgment. Because if you look clearly in, in verse um, 9, it says, uh, they spared uh, and all that was good and would not dis destroy them. They judged that there was some good in Amalek, whereas God said there was no good in Amalek. So he rejected God's commandment. And he turned his back on God. Now look down just at um, <clears throat> uh, verse 12. I'm going to read just a little bit more of this section. Verse 12. Um, and we're going to read until verse 24. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set him up a place. And he's gone about and passed on. And gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came. Oh, sorry, I'm the wrong. Uh, yes, sorry. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in, my ear, in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Samuel said, They have, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest uh, we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I'll tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. 
And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king of Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them, until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And, Samuel, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone, gone the way which the Lord hath sent me. And have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord any as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fats of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is, an iniqu as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And, Samuel's, and Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Here we have another foundation of a society that's crumbling, the foundation of order and law. God gave Saul the authority to be king over the people. Saul has to obey God, and the people was to obey Saul as their king, as their designated leader. Here we have the order reversed. Saul obeyed the people. And then he tried to put this will of the people back over God's prophet, Samuel, and saying that he obeyed and he feared the people. And also it was very, very clear when he says, when Samuel confronted him and said, why have you not obeyed? He said, I did obey. And he did not. He did not utterly destroy Amal uh, the Amal Amalekites. Okay, what we're going to look at another part of foundations that's been destroyed is go to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, verse 6. And when Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gilboa, uh, Gibeah, under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and his servants were standing by him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood with him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and, and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? That all of, you, uh, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me uh, that my, uh, my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then answered Dueg, the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, and inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him victuals, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. 
And the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, and the priests that were in Nob. And they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son, and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword? And thou hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait, as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered uh, the king and said, Who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honourable in thine house, that I, I begin to inquire for, for him? Be it far from me, let, let not the king impute anything unto his servants, nor all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests uh, of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand, to fall upon the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priest, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and suckling, oxen and ass, and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech escaped from uh, of Ahitab named Abitha and escaped and fled after David. Here we have another foundation of uh, uh, here we have another foundation of law and order is eroded. Oh. Okay, sorry. Here we see that um, in verse seven. Just just look back at verse seven. Here it says here. Then Saul said unto his servant that stood with him, Here now ye Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make all of you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? Here we see Saul was actually bribing members of his own tribe um, with positions in, in government and land. Again, we see corruptions coming into the, the, the government of the day. If you look at verse 13 to 15, it says, where Saul said unto him, um, we ha- you have co- he's talking to Ahimelech here, that he's conspired against the son, uh, against him. And particularly I want to do, read from uh, verse 14. And Ahimelech answered the king and said, Who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, when the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thy house? Then, uh, then did I begin to inquire for him, for far it be for me, uh, let not the king impute anything unto the servants, nor the house of my father, for the servants knew nothing of this, less or more. Here we read that an innocent man, all right, Ahimelech, was pleading his case before Saul, who was a judge at that time as well. This innocent man was also a priest of God, of the true and living God, who gave Saul the authority to be over the people. Look at verse 16. 
and says, and the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and the, all thy father's house. Saul judged unrighteously. He judged and pronounced death on the priest and his family and the destruction of all that he had. The, the foundation of truth, order, and law is crumbling here. Saul destroyed the priests priest of uh, priest Ahimelech and his family the way he was supposed to destroy the Amalekites of Amalek. There was nothing spared of Ahitab, uh, of Ahimelech. Nothing. The whole family, everything was destroyed. The sheep and everything. The, the foundation of righteousness was being destroyed here. In the light of, of Saul's history and, and how he was pursuing David, one can see that how David would write a psalm of Psalm 11 and see that everything around him is crumbling, people being killed, God's people, um, corruption. And, and you can understand why he would question about the foundations. What if the foundations of the society is crumbled? Who, who, how, how will the society stand? When you look at our society today, are we, do we not see the same things happening in our society? Does it not seem that the politicians are changing a prime minister every five minutes when the, when the polls are not, 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 not good or, or low? I mean, the last couple of years in Australia, it's been... <laughs> The polls are not good. We get a new prime minister. Oh, we better go back to the old prime minister because this polls are going bad. I mean, that's, I mean, that's very interesting. Um, whenever the ratings drop, the prime minister changes. How long ago was it when we had a leader, a prime minister, that was chosen and the party stuck with him? Through thick and thin. Through the good times and the bad times. Irrespective of, party, of people's opinions. People elected, elected uh, leaders into the government. They made that decision. They need to bear with it for five years or four years or three years, depending on the country. But it doesn't happen. How does a, a, a prime minister rule a country when he's always worried that someone's going to stab him in the back? Very, very difficult. What about the truth? Do politicians tell the truth? <laughs> I see everyone smiling and laughing. <laughs> Do their moral compasses change like the wind as the wind blows? Again, with people's opinion. What about justice? How many times do you see people get away with murder, assault, crimes? It happens every day. What about the persecution of the righteous, the true church of Christ? People who preach from the word of God. Government starts looking at putting laws in place, allowing homosexual couples to redefine the definition of marriage. God gave the definition in the Bible of marriage as a marriage is a union between a man and a woman. But now the government's looking at changing that to be between two homosexuals. It's not currently law yet in Australia, but Sweden it is. But it's moving in that direction.
What about re religious education at school? Hasn't that been taken away? How, how are children supposed to know about the order of the universe, the laws of God? Responsibility to a creator, the person who made you. It's been all taken out of schools. All these things that we see and happening around us you know, are the foundations of our society that is slowly being eroded away and crumbling. And as the foundations are destroyed, the society crumbles and you start seeing crime increasing. If you're not accountable to a God, well, does it matter what you do? No, it's not. If there is no God, you know, what's the purpose of life? Suicides rise. And these things we can't, you know, we can see. So we may ask the question, as David asked in Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We'll get to that a little bit later. Just as society has foundations, every person also has foundations on which they build their lives. Many, many people build their lives on the foundations of wealth, or money, property, maybe education, intelligence, fame, popularity, strength, power, authority, maybe family. And you know, this list can go on and on. Many people build on many foundations and many things. Turn to Job. We're going to Job. <clears throat> Job chapter 1. We read from Job chapter 1 to verse 5. And there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And there were born, was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a great household, and a very great household, so that he, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so... When the days of their feasting was gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Here we see the description of Job. All right? He was incredibly wealthy. He was so wealthy that in verse 3 it says that he was the greatest of all the men of the East. All right, now, I, I, I did a bit of search on the internet, and um, I read somewhere it said that um, Job's wealth at this time was equivalent to the combined wealth of Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, and Oprah Winfrey. Why Oprah Winfrey? Hey, but anyway. So if you think about that, that's incredibly wealthy. I mean, he, he was so wealthy at that time. He also had a large family of 10 children who had great parties. 
on a regular basis uh, and celebrations. Job had fame. He had wealth. He had money. He had property. He had power. He had authority. And he had family. He was a man that had it all. Every one of those things that I mentioned could easily be one of Job's foundations, or his foundations. Now, many, many people in this world currently do have those type of foundations. But let's look at a little bit further down at verse 13. And we read, and it says, And there was a day when the sons and daughters... Uh, 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 there was a, and there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God fallen from heaven and had burnt up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another also, uh, uh, also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and carried them away. Yea, and slayed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I, own, uh, I only am escaped to tell thee. Um, when he was yet uh, speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I am, uh, only, uh, I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Look what happened to Job. Everything was taken away from him in an instant, in a very, very short period of time. His wealth, his money, his property, his family. What do people say typically when you lose your wealth and things like that? At least you've got your health. You can't buy your health, can you? Let's look down at Job 2, just at verse 7 and 8. Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord... And smote Job with severe boils from the soles of his foot unto his crown. And he took him, uh, and he took him a potshed to scrape himself with all. And he sat down among the ashes. Job's health was also taken from him. Everything that was valuable and precious was taken away from him. What would you be like in a situation like this? How would you, you react if all your wealth, your work, your children, your property, your health was taken away from you? What is taken away right now? Are those the foundations that you put your trust and your hope on? Will your, will your building, your life start crumbling if these things are taken away from you? If your money or your wealth was taken away from you, would you start to get angry? Would you start to worry? How am I going to make my bills? How am I going to make the payments? 
how I'm going to maintain my lifestyle? If your children were taken away, would you be angry with God? Say, why did God take away my children? Or maybe the people around you, you may be angry with them. Would you become bitter? Hard-hearted? Cruel? Detached? What if your health was taken away from you? Maybe you have a stroke, we just heard. Now, Pinky's mom. And lost mobility. Or maybe you struggle with, say, cancer. A very painful um, illness, I believe. Maybe you have cancer or through bad choices. Maybe through lifestyle choices. Maybe through smoking or drugs. Do you get bitter with God? Will you feel sorry for yourself? Self-sitting self-pity? Resenting people? Resenting people who still be able to move around? Do you get angry? Or maybe become depressed? If your foundations in life are based on these items I've mentioned, then when these things get destroyed, your purpose in life also is removed. During the Great Depression, of 1929 to 1933, people lost everything through the crash of the markets in Wall Street. People who had put all their life savings into worthless bonds and stocks and promissory notes. And when the market crashed, they lost everything. What happened? It resulted in the rise of suicide rate in the U.S. by 56.2%. From 12.1 people who committed suicide per 100,000 to 18.9, 56% rise because people lost everything. That was their foundation on their wealth and the money and everything. If everything of the world was taken away from you, everything in this world, how would you react? How did Job react? Look at uh, Job chapter 1. Verse 20 and 22. And it says, Then Job rose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. When Job's wealth and his possessions and his family and his material goods was taken away from him, what did he do? He worshipped God. He worshipped. He gave God the glory. He did not fall into self-pity, depression, anger or doubt. Job worshipped God. In verse 21 he says, um, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job's foundation was not based on anything in this world. What happened when his health was taken away? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 7. Um, and we're going to read 2 verse 10 again. So when, Satan, uh, so when Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot 
unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speaketh as one of the foolish woman speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job did not curse God or blame God for his poor health. Many commentaries say that tradition indicates that this attack on Job's health was over a long period of time. So the, the attack on Job's health was not just the boils that we mentioned here, which was very, very painful. We're just going to flip back and forth in Job at, at the moment. So we're going to look at, look at Job, um, Job chapter 30, verse 17. I'm just going to show you some of the condition and the, the, the attack on Job, on his physical health. Job chapter 30, verse 17, and it says, My bones are pierced in me in the night seasons, and my sinews take no rest. He had intense pain, which gave him no rest. You can see that he had no rest. It was painful for him just to sit down and lie. Look at Job 7, verse 4. Job 7, verse 4 says, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise and the night be gone? I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. He could not sleep. He could not sleep at night. He was sleep deprived. Job 30, verse 30 says, My skin is black upon me, and my bones are burned with heat. He had peeling skin, and his skin was black, and he had a fever. Job 7, verse 5 says, My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. He had pustful sores, and worms were eating his flesh. Job 19, verse 20 says, My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. He was losing weight. He, could not, he had no appetite to eat. His, bones were, his skin was clinging to his bones. Job 7 verse 16 says, I loathe it. I would not live always. Let me alone for my days of vanity. Uh, and also Job 30. Okay, this is Job 30 verse... 27 to 28. My bowels boil and rest not. The days of affliction prevented me. I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and cried in the congregation. He was suffering from depression. He was hating his life. He was continually weeping. Let's look at Job 16 verse 16. It says, 16 verse 16 says, My, my face was, is foul with weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Job 7.14 says, Thou scarest me with dreams, and terrify me, terri terrifieth me with visions. 
He had nightmares. He had nightmares every night. Verse 19, uh, Job 19 verse 18, it says, Yea, young children, despise me. I arose and they spake against me. Uh, no, sorry, verse 17, Job 19 verse 17. My breath is strange to my wife, and I entreat for the children's sake for my own body. He was also having difficulty in breathing. Now, these conditions, as I said earlier, lasted for a while. So if you look at Job 7, verse 3, it says here, um, so, so, so am I made to possess months of vanity, and, where, and wearisome nights are appointed unto me. And Job 29, verse 2 says, 29 verse 2, says, oh that, uh, oh that I were as in months past, in the days when God preserved me. You can see that Job was going through a lot of, lot of uh, physical pain and suffering. He was not eating. He was, had his sores all over his body. He had worms eating his, 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 of his um, bodies. He was having nightmares. He was in depression. Um, you know, anything that you could really think of, like really the worst of it. And was and was being attacked by Satan. So when we read in the first part of um, Job, when he says he had boils, that was only the beginning. How would you react or behave if you were afflicted like Job, where you were sleep deprived, having nightmares, pain all over your body, can't lie down? Now, we we, we have scriptures in front of us which explains to us what actually happened in heaven between Satan and God, and God allowing Job to be tested. But Job didn't know this. How much more difficult is that to endure if you don't know why you're going through a suffering or trial? You don't know where it's coming from. Would it not put doubt in your mind about your God that you trust or that you believe in? So the question is, how could Job, through all the suffering, and loss of his children, loss of his fortune, of his position in society, of his health, everything in this world, not curse God? Turn to Job chapter 13. <clears throat> Job 13, verse 15. Job 13 verse 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. For an hypocrite shall not come before him. Job's foundation was based on the living and true God. His foundation was not on the things of the world, but on the true God. If we look at just a couple of chapters ahead in Job 19, verse 25 and 26, it says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And those after my skin worms doth this body, uh, destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job knew that this life of his was fleeting, and that there was an eternity to live. He believed in the resurrection, 
and that he built his faith and foundation on God. Job was tested like no other man except for our Lord Jesus Christ. His faith on his foundation, his faith on his foundation saw him through this trial and test that he had gone through. If you look at Psalm 42, I mean Job 42, I'm just going to read uh, the end of, jo- of, of Job's 42, verse 10. And it said, and the, Lord tur- and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And when, he, and, and when he had prayed for his friends also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters, and all they that had been of his acquaintance and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 she-asses. And he, also, he, also, uh, he had also seven sons and three daughters. And uh, he called the name of the first Jemima, and the second was Keziah, and the name of the third was Ker- and Haputch. And all the land, there was no woman found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren. And after this, Job lived there 140 years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even fourth generation. So Job died being old and full of days. God blessed Job after this trial and test with double of all that he had before the trial. He doubled everything that Job had. He doubled Job's sheep. He doubled Job's camels. He doubled the oxen. He doubled the she-asses. And he doubled the children. But you may say, oh, he only gave him another ten children. But we've got to remember that while goods are perishable and die, human beings are eternal and are never destroyed. So he gave ten additional children and he had ten. So in eternity he would still have twenty children. So he got double his children. And also another interesting thing is that the Bible does say that on average people will live seventy years. Job lived 140 double the lifespan of an average person. Wonderful blessing, isn't it? So, what is your foundation on life built on? Are you building your life on your career, on your good looks, health, (laughs) wealth, (laughs) family, political power? Will your foundation be able to support you through the trials of life. The trials we endure in our lives are actually there for a purpose. They test your foundation. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 from verse 46 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And Jesus is speaking here. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? 
Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house and dig deep and lay the foundations on a rock, foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that is without a foundation, built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. At the time of Jesus, the typical building method of building a house was to flatten the ground and then to lay small stones. I'm not exactly sure the size of the stones, but smaller stones, and set that around the perimeter of the house as your foundations. The reason being is that they used to use mud bricks. So when, when the rain came, if you didn't lay the stones as your foundation, the rain would eat away at the bricks. Okay, so they used to build a foundation of bricks, uh, of stones, cut stones, and then they'll build their, their mud bricks on top of it. However, richer people didn't do it that way. Richer people would have people dig out the ground and then find a firm foundation like a rocks and build the foundation stones on top of that rocks. Not like today where we just throw concrete. They would have larger stones. And if you look um, in the Old Testament when they laid the foundation stones of the, of the temple again, you'll see that they're using massive, massive rocks. And uh, the stones, if I remember correctly, uh, I stand corrected, um, each stone was the weight of two 747 Boeings. That's how big. This, the, I, I could stand corrected. I remember I should have written it down. Um, so, depending on how wealthy you are, you'd, you'd have different forms of constructions. And it's probably the same now today anyway. Um, so, Jesus said that whoever came to him, whoever comes to Jesus and believes on him as his saviour, is like a wise man who digs deep and then lays his foundation on the rock. Okay? Not on the soil. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1, champion, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Read from verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye... Um, Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wool, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. For any man, any man's work, uh, if any man's work abideth, he shall build, uh, ha, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but him, he himself shall be saved yet also. By fire. We see here that in verse 11, that the only foundation that will survive our trials and our tribulations and our tests is Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, 
For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Only when you have faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, when you have accepted His free gift of salvation, only then do you have a firm foundation. Only when you do, only when you do, only then do you realize that this life on earth and all that is in it is only temporal and only for a fleeting moment in our, in our time. When you realize that this life, that there is life beyond the grave, life, eternal life, or eternal suffering, a life of eternal suffering in the lake of fire, or life eternal of eternal joy and happiness with Jesus in heaven. When you've been born again as a child of God, through the shed blood of Jesus, then you can say like Job, through ever your, for all your trials, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh, hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you know that you, your Father in heaven, that God is your Father, and you're this child, everything that we receive on earth is a gift from God. And if He takes it away, He's chosen to take it away. We can understand that everything here is temporal. It's not real. Turn back to Psalm 11. Psalm chapter 11. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready the arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares fires and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. We see in, some, in verse 5 that the Lord tries, the Lord tests the righteous. Those that believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. God does test, test us like Job. Why does He do that? He does that to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith and our foundation, to make sure that we have the sure foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants our, our, our faith to grow, similar to a muscle. Now, if you, if you have a muscle and you don't do anything with it, it actually gets smaller and smaller and gets weaker and weaker. But the more you exercise it, if you look at the bodybuilders, they do these exercises and, and have resistance training all the time. And those muscles just get bigger and bigger and huge. Right? It's the same thing with us. If we never go through a trial, if we never go through um, tribulation, how strong is our faith? Will we blow over at the nearest um, uh, bit of persecution? The trying of our faith makes our faith stronger. Because every time we go through a trial, what happens? We can't do it in our own strength. We turn to God. 
We always go back to God, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, just keep your, psalm, your finger in Psalm 11, because we're going to keep coming back. And turn to James, chapter 1. You're just going to keep coming back to Psalm 11, so if you can keep your finger in there, just go to James. James chapter 1. <clears throat> Read verse from verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing that, the, that uh, this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and endure, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it is, uh, and is it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. The tests and trials of our of this world teaches us patience, patience, and also builds our faith in God. Go back to Psalm eleven. And look at verse 1. Now this is a really a key verse. It says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to myself, flee as a bird to your mountain. David put his trust in the Lord. Job put his trust in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your key, founda and, and, uh, as your, uh, as your key foundation, you cannot be shaken. You see, David, he, he, he put his trust in him. Job did the same. Now keep your finger in Psalm 11. Coming back. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 15. Matthew 16 verse 15. And he says here. He saith unto them. This is Jesus. But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was the rock that Christ will build his church? What was the foundation on which he's going to build his church? It's a declaration by Peter, it says, in verse um, 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock on which the church is built. The saviour of the world. Nothing can prevail against this foundation. Nothing. It says here hell. Jesus himself says that um, in verse um, 19. Uh, not verse 19, sorry. 
on verse 18. And it says, and, uh, and, uh, and I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of the declaration, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. doesn't matter what the demons or, the, or Satan himself can do. It could never, can never prevail against a rock. So turn back to verse uh, Psalm 11. We look at verse 4. It says here, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his, behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Important thing to realize is that God is still on the throne. And is in control of all things. Nothing happens without God's permission. If you read the beginning of Job, Satan had to get permission from God to tempt and trial Job. He could not willy-nilly do it of his own accord. He had to get permission. God allowed him to test Job. God allowed him to trial Job. Even if you look at um, in Job, where he talks about uh, attacking his body, God said he could not kill Job. He could only affect his body, but not kill him. God alone has the authority over everything. And it hasn't changed. And it will never change. Job realizes this truth. This is why he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And he blessed God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In Job chapter 1, verse 2. If you're not the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, then the Bible says here in the same psalm that you are one of the wicked, one of the morally wrong, one of the ungodly. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. It says here in Psalm 11, God trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. God is against you. If you're not a believer, God is against you. He will send snares to you. He'll send famine. He'll send anger. Burnings. Lusts. Which can never, never, ever be fulfilled. And it will consume you through your life. And beyond this life, in all eternity. But born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are tried by God, verse 5 tells us. God loves the righteous, the morally just, and blesses them with his favor, with his goodwill, with his kindness, with his grace. Look at verse 3 again. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The answer is to trust in God. He's still in control. Though all the foundations of the world and everything that we, we, we set our society on, all those foundations, if they all crumble and all are destroyed, the righteous need not worry. They need not to be fearful, but only to trust in God. God is in control. He will protect you, he'll keep you. 
But if you're an unbeliever in the Lord Jesus Christ, why do you wait? Why do you want the Almighty God to be against you? Why do you struggle to build on foundations that cannot stand the test of time, that actually crumble when put under intense pressure? I did a sermon the other time on um, the number of CEOs or high executives that actually committed suicide. What happened is these guys had everything, everything that they could ever have. They had wealth, they had property, they had everything as Job had. And when they got to a point, they realized it was empty, it was void, it does not fulfill. And they had no, no hope. And they committed suicide. That's the same as someone who does not put their trust in Christ. They never did. Turn to Matthew. We're just closing up with Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'll read 28. <clears throat> verse 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, oh, verse 28 to 30. It says, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do you want rest for your soul? Don't you want a light and easy yoke and a light burden? Why do you struggle on your day-to-day life, trying to put the world on your shoulders and try to control everything and try to um, do everything by yourself? Only once you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, can you say, as Job said in Job 19, verse 25 and 26 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms doth uh, destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Salvation plants your feet firmly on, um, salvation plants your feet firmly on the foundation. Salvation plants your feet on the solid rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Building your life on this foundation and you will never, never be moved. And you will overcome every single trial and tribulation that comes across you. Amen.